Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Steve Macias and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Thanks for joining us again for this edition of the Out of the Question podcast. And today we're going to talk about a federal holiday that has just passed, Veterans Day. It's annually observed in November in the U.S., and it honors our armed forces. Although originally it was called Armistice Day as it was commemorating the end of World War I. After a little bit of research, I discovered that in 1954, at the urging of many, the holiday became Veterans Day. Now, at different points in American history, veterans have either been venerated or maligned, depending on the political climate of the day. Today, it is not uncommon for people to go up to a person in the military or one who has served and declare, thank you for your service. Well, one of our listeners sent us a link to an organization that helps veterans, many of whom are homeless in psychiatric facilities or hospitals today. And while there wasn't a specific question this listener asked, we thought it might be useful to explore the question, do all veterans deserve honor and recognition? So Steve, Mm. I'm going to let you start off this discussion. What you're asking, and do all veterans deserve honor, is is the soldier or the military career an honorable or venerable career? And it's a difficult question uh, because there are times that American military or European military have done things that were contrary to God's law. In fact, if we go back to the very earliest days of the church, there are writings in the church fathers that forbade Christians from participating in the military. Pre-Constantine, there are explicit canonical uh, declarations that you could be excommunicated for participating in the military. So the question fast forward to today, as we've had on this podcast, people who are retiring or active in the military, we obviously don't believe that they should be excommunicated for their service. So there's behind this question an idea that perhaps the Bible can speak to what it is that we are honoring about veterans. And I think that that is a commitment to a higher ideal of protecting women and children, of attempting to provide for the common defense, that it, America's foundation, military, was something of a protectorate or a defense organization. And the part that we have trouble with today as Christians is that we have creeped away from that original intention. And you said America's founding. Well, of course, there was a war and military service. Well, we call it the War of Independence that transformed this land from being under uh, a colonial arrangement with Great Britain to being an independent nation. And, you know, I was thinking about veterans as we decided to talk about this. My father was a World War II veteran. He served as a doctor, and he rarely, rarely talked about his experiences. And my father-in-law, a man I have never met, but my husband tells the story that he was a World War I veteran, And it wasn't until decades after his father had passed away that we were digging through things and he found medals and things that basically had talked about his heroism during the war, having saved someone, having been hurt by mustard gas. 
And even my husband found out that his dad was a sharpshooter in World War One, but his father never talked about it. So in my father's era and my father-in-law's era, it wasn't that you would talk about and you'd be bragging about military service. And yet, I think part of that isn't what that they were just overly humble. I think part of it is that they saw some pretty awful things. If you begin even with the American Revolution, where the parliament had a occupied British military in the homes of Americans, the idea of, you know, we have Mel Gibson's The Patriot, of celebrating the war was not really the intention. It was always, this is the unnecessary or the the thing that we didn't much want to do, but we had to do because of uh, the aggression towards us. So the question of should all veterans deserve honor and recognition, I think it's really important to put this into context because if all you have to be is a veteran and now you are the recipient of special recognition or honor and it doesn't put into context, well, what exactly did you do? And if you were following just following orders, what does that say about where the role of God's law applies in your life. And so maybe that there's a lot of issues with veterans today because we really haven't helped them acclimate from being active military to going back to civilian life. And there is a a change in our culture on what civilian life is and what military life is. I believe that when we think of the very earliest times of American military, uh, we have frontiersmen uh, or, or colonialists, people who were basically uh, in their regular life, blacksmiths or, or we had in some cases preachers or bakers. Those men left their regular vocations to, for a time, take up arms and then return back to their regular life. But over the past you know, century or so, there's been a, a certain change uh, in the military has become a career or an industry in of itself and that the goal of a young man could be to raise in the ranks of military leadership and have a career here. And that is complicated, of course, with the idea in the last 50 years of having a draft, of having wars that soldiers were sent to that they didn't necessarily agree with, or being sent into fight in wars for values they didn't agree with, or to fight in ways that didn't Uh, match what their Christian values were at home. And so what we have done in a lot of these circumstances is we have put men who in their heart have God's law written there and put them in situations where orders and authority have compromised their conscience. And the church hasn't done a good enough job at rehabilitating them and rescuing them and offering them the redemption from what they may have done or how they might find healing. And you've just identified the spiritual dynamic of it, which is huge, because a lot of people who enter the service do so because they want to advance in a career, as you said, or they want to get an education and the government says they'll pay for it. But oftentimes they don't have a lot of real world experience in terms of having to deal with the very conflicts that come up in business or come up in any sort of profession. And they go into six weeks of boot camp, however long it is, and they turn them into fighting machines or someone who is going to obey orders without question. And yet, no matter what the experience is, they are done with their service, they come home, 
And now people who may have been used to carrying a firearm all the time now are no longer able to do that because that's not the society they come back to. And in many cases, they feel stripped of the things that had been sort of pounded into them and they're left very um, disoriented. And I think that your point about the church not really speaking to this issue probably has a lot to do with the fact that the church really hasn't been a good voice in terms of biblical warfare and a justifiable war. That's right. Well, uh, Dr. Greg Bonson, who is a a favorite amongst our people, uh, talks about the idea of just war. And he quotes all the way back from St. Augustine and says that there is an idea of war, of course, that's justifiable. And it can be summarized very easily as defense of a Christian people. But there is that conflict and that question of how much of our culture today is continually damaging the image of God and man. We all know that ideas have consequences, but when Reconstructionists talk about the law of God, we're not only saying that it would be the best way or the most profitable way for a culture to to survive, but rather that when we remove God's law as a standard, for example, in, in this, for how to treat soldiers or how to wage war, when God's law is not taken into consideration, There are consequences in our culture, Uh, and that starts, of course, with the soldiers. If the soldiers are not treated with respect to God's law and their orders are not in conformity with God's law, if their authority is not in conformity to God's law, then that affects who they are. And what we're going to see in this generation and the next generation as we move further and further away from God's standard is that the people who are not protected by the love of God expressed in his law will come out damaged, hurt, and hating themselves. Uh, And we can clearly see that this is happening with our soldiers. It's a travesty that those men and women who took an oath to the Constitution, who put on the uniform of a country that was once a great Christian nation, now have the greatest suicide rate. It's a travesty that they struggle with mental health, but it makes sense that it's happening this way because we have moved away from the protection of God's law. I think a lot of people would say, well, wait a minute, how could you possibly run a military if you don't have people who are unquestionably going to answer to your orders or to to what it is you require them to do? And yet, isn't it interesting that by and large, people don't view God's orders or God's law as being something that should be unquestioned when it comes to obeying? And that really is the question at the beginning of the Christian identity. In the first century, military service was religious service. We all know the story of just before the time of Christ when the Romans came in to the Maccabean temple and they take over the temple and they sacrifice a pig on the altar there. Uh, The idea of the Roman military has always been to extend the lordship of the Caesar, of the emperor. And so it was an issue in the very early church because The military wasn't just wearing a uniform, following orders, and carrying a sword. It was recognizing the lordship or the authority of one above you. And so early Christians who didn't believe that Caesar was lord, that only Christ could be lord because there is one lord, had trouble with military service and removed themselves for the large part until after the time of Constantine for military service because of the religious implications of authority. Now, today... 
I think we're having a similar issue as our country gets further and further away from a religiously Christian identity. Christians are going to have to question whether or not their obedience to the American military is a religious devotion or should they obey God rather than man. But that would require an education and application of God's law on a regular basis, starting from the time that they're young, that says, what's the proper way to respond to this situation? What are professions that will honor God? If I'm going to go into a profession that's currently been overtaken by humanists, do I have a responsibility to just be quiet and move along so I can get my pension or to reconstruct that profession? And I know a number of the people who I believe are sincere Christians, many of whom came to an understanding of God's law while they were in the military. When they finally leave after years of service, there is some real significant concerns they have. And sometimes they give advice to young men that may not be the best place for you to go. Now, Neither one of us are condemning people who feel God's call to go into the service, but you don't give up your allegiance to Christ in order to serve in the military. That's right. Well, and I think military service, with the exception that you're risking your life and freedom, is very similar to most other occupations. There are considerations that there are occupational hazards for your spiritual health. I live here in California, Silicon Valley. And we run a Christian school where parents work at Google or Facebook, YouTube, things like that. Companies where Christian values and Christian identity are not really praised or supported. And they have to go into an environment that's hostile to their faith. They have to celebrate by their contribution to this company the way their companies um, celebrate homosexuality or abortion, the corporate donations to things like Planned Parenthood. They're involved in a system. So it's not limited to just uh, the military and people who are veterans have to somehow separate themselves from evil institutions. Every one of us is in our daily life facing choices of does this organization that I serve bow down to the Lord Jesus Christ or does it bow down to uh, secularism and the gods of this age? And you think about what warfare used to be. It used to be people went face to face and attempted to incapacitate or kill the other. So whether it was done with sticks or swords, then it came with guns, and then we had weapons that had far-reaching capabilities with tanks or, or bombs coming from planes. Well, today, there's the way in which you wage warfare that's very, very much like the way young kids play video games and that you might be directing uh, attacks on populations clear across the other side of the world from a computer station. And the question is, who are the people who are being injured by the drone strikes or what, whatever the, the weapon is. And so it's really, really, really a big concern when you say, I'm going to serve my country because your country, if it's at war with Christ, puts you on the wrong side. Well, and that's right. And uh, recently I was at a event with Kenan Andrew White, who's an Anglican priest who was the uh, dean of the cathedral at 
uh, Coventry in England, uh, so a significant figure in our church. And some people know him because he had a church in Baghdad following the American invasion of Iraq. And while he was talking about his work to uh, kind of find peace between warring countries, there were questions from Americans in the audience. And in the course of this discussion, Andrew had explained that they had moved all of their Christians out of Iraq into uh, nearby Turkey to run their Christian school because they were no longer safe in Iraq, which is uh, an interesting thing to consider, considering that you know the, the last decade has been about America liberating Iraq, and yet the Christians who were once there for generations have now all fled the country. You know, the, the Christians who had been there for a millennia no longer feel safe in the country that was not persecuting them you know, 30 years ago. But the, the children all moved to Turkey, and they have their Christian school there. And people in the audience uh, got up and asked, are you concerned about uh, these, these Christian children in Turkey? Because so many of us are misinformed about what the American military is doing overseas, or we have a black and white view of good countries and bad countries. And the questions about the children in Turkey presupposed that perhaps Turkey was a dangerous place for Christians. And Canon White explains that the children are more safe in Turkey than many European countries uh, because their faith is respected and no one is going to persecute them. But that was a surprise to many of these people who thought Turkey would be associated with you know, militant Islam. But that really gets to uh, our issue is we want to say this is the military that's serving God or this is the military that's not serving God. And I have uh, this own issue in my household. My son, who's six years old, came home uh, not two weeks ago and said uh, that he wanted to be a soldier when he grew up. And just quizzing him, I said, why would you, why do you want to be a soldier? Why would that be interesting to you? And he said, well, I want to fight for God. And so somehow through, whether it was Iron Man movies or, or Avengers movies, or just being around the culture and seeing flags, somehow he had got it in his mind that America's military was one and the same with serving the kingdom of God. And I think that's the danger in our modern conversation about veterans. Uh, we need to have conditional veneration for those who uh, risk their life to recognize that there is value in valor and being able to go and fight for what you believe in, but that there are consequences for when our American military goes against the covenantal laws of God. But let's remember, okay, Steve, that as Christians, we will sing onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. And so I do think it might be accurate to say that your young man, who I know is learning his faith and as he's growing up, understands that as Christians, we do fight in a war and we fight under a king and yet we need to recognize what our weapons are. Now, as a young boy, he might be very intrigued with the sword or, or being able to go out and get bad guys, but we must remember that in the war that we're called into, that the weapons of our warfare aren't worldly weapons. They are the word of God, and the sword of the Spirit is our major weapon. That's right. And I think one of the pressures in American society is that we conflate a lot of things. We conflate our politics, our view of, of the military, our foreign policy, our faith. 
And we have this false idea um, that we need to have large groups of people agreeing with us for us to make progress. And so as a young Republican activist, I remember not necessarily being convinced uh, of certain foreign policy decisions by President George Bush or even uh, Barack Obama, but there were concessions I was willing to make because I wanted my, my group or my party to win. And so I was willing to sacrifice a few ideals or a few policy points because I wanted the most people to be on my side. And I think that that's a danger that all of us face, especially when we talk about the military. We don't want to offend or alienate people who really believe um, in these foreign policy ideas that are contrary to God, because that will you know, fracture our coalition. We won't have enough people voting for our block if you know, the neoconservatives and the paleoconservatives and libertarians don't all just look past these military view differences. But what it does say and what it does create is a compromised view of the Lord's sovereignty. At the very beginning of this podcast, you, you talked about how the idea of having a voluntary military or people who didn't always obey orders would weaken the military. But the Lord, in his example in the book of Judges, doesn't require a vast military to overcome the enemy. In fact, the example of God is that he's always narrowing his army in order that he might get the glory for success. And so when we have a discussion about American public policy and its view of war and veterans, our our temptation should be to be on the side of God and therefore have a majority rather than to side with the very contrary claims of different factions. And that was really the view of the early American founders. Uh, George Washington, who led us in Uh, this military conquest was not interested in compromising with the British or with other forces. What he really wanted to do was to get the honor of the Lord, the principles of the constitution, the American founding ideals out front and center. And he believed that if he stood on those, even though there were only a few that they would receive a blessing uh, from that obedience. And I think that's the consideration we're missing when we talk about what it means to honor veterans today. So it's funny how it always goes back to the same thing. Let God be true and all men liars. What God's word says is what has to be followed. Otherwise, we won't reap the blessings that everybody so much wants. But there's something you said earlier that I think might be applicable to all of our listeners, but maybe especially the one who sent in the the clipping about veterans. We need to recognize when we are in touch with people who have served and have um, problems or issues that there may be many things that they need to talk about and understand. And as believers, we can help them because whether your sins occurred overseas, whether they occurred in medical service, in military service, under the jurisprudence system, whatever it is, the answer remains, confess your sins and receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, who then redeems your soul. Right. And military service and veteran services is much more than just being willing to agree with whatever the president is doing or following orders. It's a certain lifestyle. And so if anybody, and I know that uh, Dr. Ron Paul, who is a veteran, or many of the veterans we've talked to who are affiliated with Calcedon, will tell you that 
the considerations for joining the military or respecting military life go beyond just the the gory or the glory of war. You, know, you say that they don't talk about the the past experiences, but there is something about military life that is unique, and it's a, a unique burden that veterans have to bear. And that is the motivations we talked about: people doing it financial gain. Uh, so that would change your perspective on your job. If you're willing to become a hired hitman, I think that is going to challenge your faith. But there's another part of this that often isn't considered, and that is that military life, especially for married men and for their families, is significant, and it's a hardship for many families. Uh, Christian families need to recognize that sacrificing your life in the military is going to affect your wife and your children. There is a stigma or a archetype for army brats and children being moved all around the world uh, for military service because it does affect who they are. Now, all of those could be reasons not to join the military, uh, but they could also be reasons for why we should respect the people who do join the military. Uh, Those who have had to uh, endure times where their husbands were away uh, and they didn't know if their husbands would return, children who face the same, uh, deserve our compassion um, and deserve our, our love. And those who have had to endure uh, the loss of loved ones uh, who, who died in wars that maybe they don't agree with deserve our compassion. There is so much to this idea of veterans that is complicated by the fact that we are not obeying Christ fully in our current state of the military. And so, you know, the scripture says, whatever you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever, do it to the glory of God. And as um, children are reared in the faith, in the Orthodox faith, being theonomic and understanding that we're here to do a work for the kingdom, and that should be our highest priority, then your understanding of responding to God's call will be much clearer within the context of God's rules and God's commandments. And so this isn't to say, Everybody shouldn't or everybody should, but we should recognize that sometimes the honor that veterans are given have more to do with assuaging our own sense of guilt for what we're not doing. And so it's easy to just say, thank you for what you do without recognizing the cost for what they did. I do know that Sometimes when you do talk to people who are willing to explain a little bit about their military service, there's a look that comes over them because they saw things of families that were not in military gear who were the casualties of war, that they witnessed rape or that they witnessed people fathering children and then leaving and leaving those children orphans. And in many cases, they become ostracized because they're mixed race, because it was somebody in Southeast Asia and an American serviceman. So there are a lot of things that go on. And those are the things that once people understand their sin, much the same way that a woman who's taken the life of her child confronts the fact that that's what she did, that opens the door to the Lord's forgiveness. But if you deny your sin, there's no possibility for repentance and conversion because you're not admitting wrongdoing. That's right. And I mean, that's the significant thing. We're bringing all things captive to the Lord Jesus. Well, if somebody is, is listening to this and hearing us basically say that, 
that veterans should be conditionally honored. Uh, I think that even the most adamant anti-war person can look through America's history, whether it's the very beginning or the war between the states. Uh, there are wars that we have uh, people worthy of honoring. Even in our recent history, there was a, a movie just a few years ago called Hacksaw Ridge with uh, Desmond Doss. And if you are completely opposed to the idea of, of military violence, uh, then Veterans Day or, or honoring veterans could be a time for you remembering men like this uh, conscientious objector who became an American war hero for his refusal to participate in violence. And I think that brings us to uh, really a question of what would you do? Uh, what would you do uh, if you were conscripted into the American military? And the answer would really reveal uh, who you are and what you say about God. Because I know that if I was conscripted today and I had no choice but to die or to fight, I would do everything I could to serve those in authority around me and remind them of, of their commitment to be under the authority of God, that all of those who are in power are there because they were established in that place by the Lord. And so if that is the case conditionally or, or hypothetically, what are we doing today to serve uh, those who have gone through uh, military service? The more adamant we are opposed to any particular view of American foreign policy, the more compassionate and more vigorous we should be in rescuing those who have gone through that meat grinder. So whether or not you want to particularly honor veterans in a jingoistic way, we must recognize uh, that as evil as we might put them out to be, uh, there are no more evil in their hearts than I, and they need the compassion and the forgiveness of, law, of the law of God. That's true. That's true. And a lot of us can appreciate the fact that America remains the place where most people want to live. I certainly don't want to go anyplace else, and there are people doing their best to come here who want to live here. So we have to recognize that the service that people gave it isn't always nice and, you know, pristine and clean. You weigh the antagonists in various conflicts over the years, and you realize that in many cases, it's hard to pick a clear good guy. There's sometimes it's easier to pick the person who is worse, or in, in our view, worse. But it goes back to the idea that we're going to find ourselves in many situations and the word of God speaks to all of them, whether it's the decision to enter into these situations or God makes himself real to us in a very, very personal way whilst we're in the midst of it. So you talked about career military. We could talk about career politicians. That wasn't the way it was initially. These would be men who had professions. They would serve and then they'd go back to their professions. They wouldn't become career senators or career congressmen. So there's plenty of work to be done and plenty of opportunity for those of us who get it to share God's word with all these people. That's right. And we're not the first person or the first group of people or the first people in history to experience such a transition. Uh, those who are interested in seeing how Christianity has traditionally treated soldiers in times of foreign rulers should look to the example of St. Martin of Tours. Now, this is a family who joined the military under uh, a Christian emperor, and then quickly the emperor becomes uh, a pagan again. And so what does uh, the Roman soldier do? And it's not always evident in the life of, of an individual 
where the, the, the cutting point is, where the, where the end point is, where the point that you need to turn and change. But with the life of St. Martin of Tours, uh, the Lord used uh, a dream in this particular circumstance of St. Martin where he has a dream of a beggar in the city. He cuts his, his cloak in half, gives half the cloak to this beggar in the city. And this dream of Jesus appearing to him and reminding him of his call to compassion to others and that was the the uh, catalyst for him giving up military service under a pagan emperor. There are ways in which we can love and serve those in the military to remind them uh, of their greater call. And there are ways for us through our various gifts and our legislative process to change and transform the way the American military operates. Uh, we were just remarking as we come upon Christmas that this is a fairly recent uh, innovation, the idea of celebrating Santa Claus, Christmas trees. Uh, it's not a, a widespread entrenched belief, but yet it's practiced everywhere. The same is true for the American military. Maybe it's like this since Vietnam, or maybe it's like this since World War II. But in the stretch of Christian history, it's really just a speed bump. And for us to reform or to change uh, what it is to be a Christian military can just take another half a century. Uh, could be within our lifetime to reform what it means to be a Christian nation with a, a God-honoring veteran system. Well, I think that's a good place for us to close our discussion with the hope of victory because we know our side wins and how privileged we are to serve in the army of the Lord. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Join us again next time for another edition of the Out of the Question podcast. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.